Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. can grab a seat. As you heard from the text today, it's the most popular text in all of Scripture. It's the one that's most quoted. It's the one that's most known. It's the one that's most spoken. And in all honesty, if we look at the text as it is and take it for what we know, we got to remember something, that our brains are really, really lazy. Our brains will take uh, something we've heard once and they'll create a pathway that will take the information down it and we'll just kind of fall into it, similar to like skiing down a hill and hitting someone else's tracks and getting sucked into that area. So it's very hard for our brains to take information that we've heard over and over and over again and actually allow it to hit us in a different way. But the problem with this text is that it's so popular that people forget that it's actually in context to a bunch of other texts. That this text, John 3.16 in itself, is, is a beautiful text. It's one worth memorizing. It's one that all of us know. But in it of itself, all we know is that God loves the world, and that's it. We don't know why. We don't know what the purpose is or what the reason behind it would be, or even if we don't understand what this love means, what that means for us. John 3.16 is important for us to understand, but it's really, really important for us to remember the context with which it's in. This is right set into this moment where Nicodemus has been questioning Jesus, and Jesus has been giving him answers. He tells him about regeneration. You must be born again. He hits Nicodemus in the, in the worst way possible for a man that had spent his whole life trying to do religion and perfecting it, that ultimately his efforts were nothing, and that this is the requirement to believe in Jesus Christ. So we see in this text all over again, we see all sorts of truths like God loves the world. The world here is actually a, a statement that, that's spoken of great, the great mass of fallen humanity that needs salvation. God's love for this world is here. We see this very clearly. Something that I think is important for us when we hear the word love, we think of love in the terms of the way we understand it. As in God is loving or God acts lovingly or he's going to do something that will show his love. But the fact is that his attributes are God is love. That means even when wrath is present, God's love is present because God is love. I think something we have to understand when we think about how great of a love that God would have for this world, we think of love in a sense of us, which is an exhaustible resource. We will get tired from loving. We will fail at loving. Yet God does not love in a way that his resource of love would ever be exhausted. It's very powerful for us to understand that. We see here in verse 16 that he gave his son to die so that if you believe, your sins would be forgiven and you'd have eternal life. You know, one of the things that we can take from just John 3, 16, which I think is such a good thing for us to take as believers and those that don't know the Lord, is the question of how can there be a loving God if X, Y, or Z is happening? If God is really loving, then why did 2020 go the way it did? That question is, is utterly useless, almost foolish, when we come to recognize that he loves the world so much that he sent his son, that he gave his son to us. He's already displayed the greatest love that anyone could ever experience. He doesn't owe us anything else. So when we come to things like, I don't know, I don't know what, what 
what he, whether he's loving based on what we do or don't see or what he is or isn't happening in our life, we've missed the very point that God loves. He's already displayed his love. He doesn't need to prove anything else to us. He doesn't need to go another step further in your life. He doesn't need to, to solve the little problem of whatever's going on in your moment right now to make you realize that he is a loving God because he's done everything he possibly can to show you that he is loving. Another thing that we see in this is that very often, if we're not careful, we'll see Jesus as kind of the one that, that helps solve the angry God up there. God was so angry, and someone had to do something with it, and so Jesus had to come and save us from God's anger. No, that's not, that's not the truth. I mean, yes, we need to be saved from the wrath of God, but the wrath is only there because of our sinfulness, not because God is angry, not because God is looking to punish us, because God is holy and righteous. He's not some angry God that needs to be taken care of. No, Jesus came and showed that God loves his enemies. God loves the ones that are speaking against him. God's, God did a radical sacrifice through Jesus Christ for the enemies of those to himself. We see this, we know this, and we already have to understand this, that, that God's love is powerful. And many of us would stop there. Yes, God loved the world, gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we stop there. And we forget that that in and of itself, first off, was a really, really risky statement for Nicodemus to hear because they believed that God loved Israel. They didn't believe that God loved everyone. Now here's God saying, no, no, no. It's beyond Israel. It's beyond Israel. It's, it's all mankind. If we stop there, we, we end with this idea that God loves and, and that's it and just got to hope that everything works out and, and just got to escape something or, or find a way to not be condemned, but that's not true because verse 17 says that he didn't come to condemn, right? But he came to save. But what does it say right after that? That everyone is condemned already. Jesus didn't have to come to condemn because the world is condemned, fallen to sin. It's really important for us to understand this because it changes the way we see love. It, we realize that the love is greater when we realize that God loves what is condemned, He's not loving because you are a pretty good kid or you did an okay job. He, he loves what is condemned. The world is condemned. We are born of sin and therefore are selfish sinners. And even the good works that we do apart from God, Isaiah tells us, are filthy rags. The idea here then is not one of possible projected condemnation for the unbeliever, but the necessity of escaping an already existing condemnation. And this is what we see. This is how it comes. This was what was radical to Nicodemus to hear, saying, wait, as a child of Abraham, as one as a Pharisee, as one that had done all the religious things that I needed to do, you're telling me that I'm sitting in condemnation? That my being a child of Abraham is not the seal that brings me in anymore? And Jesus says, no. It's more than that. And this is where I think we get in trouble in this text, is so many of us, we say this, we utter this, we know it, we have it memorized. You've probably got your first Awana verse. This is probably the first verse you've ever memorized. But we really have to understand one word, and I think this word is so important for us to understand because it, it ties this first verse 16 into understanding really what he's saying in 19 through 21 here. It ties it together in a way where we can understand that God says that, that none shall perish, 
right? That, 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 but have eternal life. It, it ties that to the idea that God loves and gave his son. And what is that tying point? It's this one word, it's belief. It's that we believe. You see it four times in the first two verses. Belief, believe, believe. And many of us right now, our brains are doing that. Oh, yeah, I've already done that. I made that decision when I was 16 or when I was 15 or, or many years ago in college or when I had that sobbing moment with, with, with conversion. I made that belief statement there. But the problem is, is that every single one of us think of it in past tense. And believe here is a present tense. Believe is something that is present imperative. It's happening right now. And believe goes way beyond just thinking in our brain. So please don't let your brain take you down the track of, okay, I believe, move on. There's something really big for us to grab out of this text, something really important for us to see. Believing is a link between God's love and giving his son to eternal life and not being condemned. So what is this believing thing? We actually gain a little bit of context for this believing in the gospel. John, he's already talked about it. John 1, verses 11 through 12. He, Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is speaking of the people of Israel. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children. So what do we see there? We see receive and believe being used synonymously. Our belief isn't just an understanding, but there's actually a reception, a receiving of something. So belief can't just be a head knowledge. It can't just be, I knew this and I believed it one time ago. I I made the decision at 16. I walk with God. No, believing means a receiving too. There's a reception to this. We must receive him. Okay, what do we receive? When he's saying receive him, we're receiving him for all that he is. Receiving Jesus, that he is God, that he is the Messiah, that he is king, that he is the son of God, that he is the incarnated man. Receiving Jesus for all that he is. Receive him. We see also that it goes beyond just a reception idea. Down in 336, we'll get to it in a couple weeks. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Okay, so there's that is. Believes in the Son has eternal life. And then he goes on and says, whoever does not believe, no, he says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. So that we see now that believing isn't just head. It isn't just receiving for who he is but it's walking out in obedience to what he says we should do. We talked about this last week, that Ezekiel 36, that he gives us a new heart and gives us the spirit to actually walk out the ordinances which he commands of us. So this still isn't on our own power. This still isn't there. But believing is so much greater than I know this and I heard it once and I believed it once. Believing is a reception. Believing is an obedience. We do receive it as factual. We receive Jesus as the Son of God. We, we, there's, a, there's a fact to it. There's a truth to it. There's information. There's something tangible to grab. But it's not just factual. It's not just information that we believe. It's life. You know how we know this? Jesus says in John 14, 23, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. If you really love me, you will keep my word. You'll walk out my mandates. You'll walk by the Spirit. You'll live obediently to me. So when we come to John 3.16 and saying whoever believes, we understand that believing isn't just an idea in our head, an insurance policy that covers eternity, but it's a life change that has present-day implications that we are to walk in his word, to keep his word. It can't just be a head knowledge. 
We see in Luke 4, 34, where Jesus is casting out a demon. The demon says to Jesus, calls him the Holy One of God. He's claiming he is who God says he is. And Jesus casts him out. He believed who Jesus was, but did not have eternal life. Brother of Jesus goes a little bit further and says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So it can't just be a head knowledge. It can't just be a warm, fuzzy feeling that God loves me. Knowing that God loves me isn't enough. Surrendering my life to him is what actually makes the difference. It's really easy to go, okay, well, God loves me. That's great. But Jesus has already told, showed us in the Gospel of John that belief takes reception to everything that he is, truth to everything. That means the, the full thing. You want to know what the full thing is? Read John chapter 1 again. He kind of just gives you a full synopsis of it right there. But we have to walk this out. And then what Jesus does, it's brilliant. He comes back to this idea of light. In verse 19 through 21, he comes back to this idea of light and darkness. See, because even when I say that, many of you are here today, well, I thought I believed, or I think I believe, but how, how do I know? How do I, how do I really know that I'm, I'm following the Lord or that I'm no longer perishing but in eternal life? I'm, I'm not under the eternal condemnation of wrath of God, but instead in his room, in his presence, in his holiness clothed in the righteousness of God. How do I know? Well, it, it happens through belief. Well, how do we know if belief is there? He goes on, and basically what he says, the, the best way I can say is, people can only do what they are. That's really what he says. He says, look, he goes on this long thing about darkness and light, and says, ultimately, people can only do what they are. A dark person cannot do light, and a light person will not do darkness. And why? Because Jesus is the light, and light is truth. We see those working almost synonymously in the Gospel of John and 1 John. So basically saying nothing is truly understood until it is understood in the light of God. Truth is virtually the same as light. Jesus says down here in John 3, he says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The best way I can describe that is that we are walking in eternal darkness before Jesus. Have you ever been in a really dark room? I have kids. My son loves flashlights, loves them. And I'll be like getting ready to tuck him in and it's dark in his room and he'll have a flashlight, bam, right in my eye. And it just, it hurts. It hurts in your eye. You're like, oh, it exposes it. That's what Jesus does. He didn't come to condemn the world, but his presence here will automatically show those who are condemned and who are not. Because you can't experience light without either allowing your eyes to adjust and staying in it or recoiling and hiding and running. What does he say? He says, those that do evil don't want to be near light because it'll show what they've done. It'll, it'll, it'll bear them naked before God. Nothing to hide. You want to know if you believe and you're in the eternal life side. You walk in light. You do the things that God asks of us to do. He says here, it says it this way, but the, whoever does what is true, true in light, again, comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The child of God will do, it, do their work knowing that ultimately it's God that's doing it through him, his spirit that has enabled us to walk in the statutes, and that ultimately he will get the glory for him. 
but we don't need to hide from them. We're not ashamed of them. When we, when we do the work, we do the work that God created beforehand for us to do. We see that in Ephesians 2. And we do it not in shame or, or, or fear. We do it boldly, knowing that ultimately people are going to see God. And there's nothing that we need to be fear of exposed because it's all been exposed at the cross and we've been redeemed and regenerated and born again and we can walk in the newness of life knowing that our works are not ours but his in us. You'll see the works of light. John says it this way in 1 John. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, speaking of Jesus, if we say we have fellowship with Jesus, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. What does he do here? It's brilliant. He says that repentance is a form of walking in the light. Not that you will be perfect, Not that you'll have it all figured out and you're not going to make any mistakes. No, he's saying ultimately that you will move your sinfulness, your darkness into the light and let the light expose it and repent of it and walk in light, in truth. This is what it means for us to be children of light. We walk in light and truth. Jesus says it this way in John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not Walk in darkness. If you do a word study on will not, it really just means will not, in case you guys are wondering. But will have the light of life. You, you won't walk in darkness. Walk is always considered a, as you go, a continual thing in Scripture. So it's not like an oops, I made a mistake. It's a willful decision of I'm going to continue to go this way. I know what God's word says about relationships and what I should or shouldn't do before marriage, but I don't care. I know what God's word says about drunkenness or alcohol, and I, but I don't care. I know what God's word says about how I'm supposed to operate and walk in the fruit of the Spirit, but I don't care. That is a walking in darkness. And Jesus says very clearly, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Ephesians 5 says it this way. It says, for at one time you were darkness. This is what we have to understand. This is what makes God's love so brilliant. At one time, you were darkness. Those that have professed Jesus, that have believed in him, in the entirety of who he is, as the son of God, as God, as the Holy One, as the Messiah, as our King, as our Lord, those that have believed that, you are once in darkness. You have moved and been welcomed into light. You were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk. See, where we get in trouble with John 3.16 is we believe is a past tense thing. We had to do it once, and that's all that really matters because now our, our salvation, the whole heaven thing is taken care of. Yet Jesus, Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, Scripture goes a little bit further and teaches that we will persevere to the end if we are His. We see Jesus saying it, but the one who endures to the end will be saved in Matthew 24, 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Future tense. Well, that, doesn't, that seems like, wait, I thought if we believe, then we aren't perishing. And we believed and saved. It's that you are saved today and you are continually saved through walking it out in faith. 
one further. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It's not enough to say, I believed in God, that he loved the world and that he gave his son. It's, it's a, I believing, I'm believing, I'm walking in God. I'm believing that today Jesus has died for me, that today he is sanctifying me, that today he is growing me. It's a continual, present imperative, walking every single day. The reason why this verse is so wonderful is it gives us a warm fuzzies of God's love in the past tense, but we forget that there's actually present-day implications to walking out light. John 3, 16 on itself is, is, is wonderful. But tied into the rest of these verses, and we see that there's actually a way we can know that we believe because we walk in light. And we can know how to not perish by believing in Jesus. It's not enough to know that God loves you. You must receive, believe it. Which means you will live the life that God has created beforehand for you to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. It means that you will remain in the light, and when you fail, you will repent to bring your darkness back to the light, to be exposed. If God loved and gave, what should our mission be? It should be obvious that we must love. We must love him and love others. This is the clearest day. This wonderful verse, John 3, 16, makes great sense when we realize it's not meant to be just plucked out by itself. That if we end the story just at God loving and we never ever talk about the fact that those that do not love God are sitting in God's condemnation right now, there's no urgency. There's no realization. Most people, I, I would be willing to bet, if you went to anyone that doesn't profess Jesus and said, did you know that you're, you're, everything you do is, is, is filthy rags and it's darkness? Maybe don't do this as your, as your evangelism style, but it's filthy rags and all those things, and that you are sitting in condemnation, they would say, no, I'm not. I don't feel that. I do a pretty good job. I'm a pretty good person. I make a pretty good effort. I'm nice most of the time. I do this, and they go to the very things that Nicodemus would have gone to. Here's how I've worked out my religion. And we stop there, and we realize that the reason why Jesus doesn't condemn the world is because the world is already condemned. It puts a little bit more urgency in that message. It helps us see the value of salvation. So what is it for you? See, every single one of us have unintentionally past tense our walk with Jesus. We've, we've made something that we believed at one time, and maybe it was the full thing of understanding Jesus as Lord and Savior, and it's still past tense. You think it was, you left it at your 16-year-old self, and you stopped following him. Or is there something else that you are walking in darkness right now? That his word would say, this is not the way we live our life. What is it for you? God is incredibly faithful and incredibly loving. If you can't see that in this text, you miss it. If you're here today, if you're listening online, and you have no idea who Jesus is, and all you think of him is some horrible person condemning you, let me just tell you right now, no, you are already condemned. And because of your condemnation, he has sent his son to create a way out, to be in eternity with him, to, to have eternal life. There's nothing more loving than that. He gave the way. He gives us the means. He gives us the how. And then he says, this is what it looks like. And then he gives us even the ability to carry that out by his spirit indwelling us. We're not left on our own. 
We're going to take communion in a second. I'm going to ask you guys to go grab your communion stuff, and then we'll do some more worship as well. We're going to ask that you grab the communion. It's back there. If you need gluten-free, those are by the front door over there, but there's some right here and over there as well. And in communion, I want you to grab it and come back. We're going to take it together. What a beautiful reminder communion is. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So we get our word amnesia from that. Don't, don't forget. Do this and don't forget me. Let me, let me be remembered. Because what you're doing is you're, you're proclaiming something. You're proclaiming his, his incarnation, his body in the bread. You're, you're proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. You're showing this is literally the, the, the sacrament, the, the beautiful kind of thing that we get to do, the Lord's Supper, to remember all that John three sixteen through 21 is. We get to believe in him. So if you believe in Jesus, then grab the elements. Come back to your seat. If you are here today and you believe in Jesus and you are sitting in willful disobedience, you know what that sin is. The Spirit of God, if you are His, is pushing on that. Don't remain in darkness. Repent. A child of light, a child of truth, would walk in light. So repent of it. So if there's something you need to repent of, if there's someone in the body of Christ that you have anger or, or have sinned against and have not sought forgiveness, then go seek forgiveness. Text him right now. Call him right now. You don't have to abstain from communion because you feel like you're not perfect. That's the very premise of communion and recognizing. His body was broken for the fact that we could be perfect, that we could be complete in him because we would never do it on our own. Nicodemus believed he had done it. He had achieved the highest level of religion. He had gotten there. And because of that, Jesus showed him just how useless that was apart from him. So when you grab the communion, we're going to take it in just a second together, um, give you a chance to just pray, search your heart out, and the band will come up. Well, John will come up, and he'll lead us in communion. I'm going to pray for us real quickly, and then we'll go from there. Father, we thank you for for loving us. Forgive us for forgetting that. Forgive us for getting what this love means. Forgive us for, for forgetting what believing means. The fact that you have asked us to live a life that displays your love to this world and we keep forgetting about it. Father, as we come to the table in communion, as we come to, to partake of, of the symbolization, the, the bread that symbolizes your body and the, the, the juice that symbolizes your blood that was spilled for us, God, as we do this, I pray that we would never forget Never forget that those who are in light walk in light. Our lives live out this light. And Father, as we are here today, I'm sure there are many people that listen, that hear, but their heart is hardened. God, I pray that you'd break their heart. I pray that you'd soften them. Help them to see that their hardness is not protecting them in any way. Their fear of being vulnerable before you, God, you already know everything about them. And you still sent Jesus Christ to the cross for them. So, Father, may we never forget that believe is a present tense thing. That your love is not exhaustible. And it commands me to walk in the light. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God 